0: The Inflation Reduction Act, one of the craziest omnibus bills that's ever happened in my lifetime. I don't know about you, Jim, but we got to talk about this thing. First of all, set it up. What is actually in this bill? Well, it violates
1: the one subject at a time uh, principle. So, you know, my day job, part of it is leading Downsized D.C., and we are best known uh, for our Read the Bills Act and One Subject at a Time Act. And the One Subject at a Time Act says that the bill should have a clear descriptive title limited to one topic and everything should conform in that bill. And people can learn more about this because it's not just a rule that would uh, for Congress because, you know, Congress is the most anarchic institution in the land. They don't follow their own rules. They waive them at their convenience. But this, uh, this is actually a law with teeth that would uh, restrict Congress's ability to cluster unrelated things together. And then they included some environmental provisions in here. Uh, They allegedly addressed inflation. Uh, They also, uh, in in the specific way that they went about addressing inflation was to do stuff on healthcare. This is the most dramatic sweeping healthcare reform bill that's been passed since Obamacare.
0: Since Obamacare. Uh, Yep.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I'm concerned that, that uh, clustering all of these things together means that the results that we're going to get from this bill are nothing like uh, what was advertised. Uh, they will not deliver on, on the things that they're promising to do, and, uh, but they will, uh, we still, and we still will continue to go off into uh, deeper and deeper debt.
0: Well, the one thing that's the title here is the very thing that no law can do, which is reduce inflation.
1: Yeah. And so we discussed this in a previous episode, but it's t- it's important to keep reiterating this point. Inflation is everywhere and always a monetary policy. Uh, it's That's the problem at, at the base of it. People look at the price of a good or a service and they go, oh, that's inflation if the price goes up. That's not inflation. Inflation is a, a specific act uh, undertaken by the government. And a lot of people, when they're focusing on this, want to strictly blame the Federal Reserve for all the money that they print. But the money gets printed because Congress borrows it, and these con- these Congresses we've just been, th- been through a decade, more than a decade. This went back to the financial crisis, where they got addicted to whole new levels of spending, uh, to solve this problem or that problem, and, and starting with a bailout. And you know that bailout now seems awfully small. It was only seven hundred billion dollars at the time. Only seven hundred billion, right? Only seven hundred billion, right? A billion here and a billion there, and pretty soon we're talking real money, and. Yeah. So the, the other side of this equation is that Congress is spending the money. And if Congress decided to balance the budget, the inflation's portion of the boom and bust cycle, the, the, that part would be gone. <laughs> we might still have to go through some pain uh, on the other side because of money coming, getting sucked back out of the economy. But it is all of this deficit spending that is creating the tax that we now call inflation. Cause that's essentially what this boils down to. It's a fraudulent tax being imposed on us. And, and, I want people to understand something about this alleged deficit reduction. So if you were to go to a Weight Watchers meeting, Michael Cloud used to uh, gave me this analogy, you know, 20 years ago, if you were to go to a Weight Watchers meeting, you don't go in saying, well, I expected this week to gain four pounds. I only gained two. Therefore, I've lost two pounds. Yay. Exactly. That's, not how that, that's not how that works. <laughs> right. Okay. The government never gets on the scale. And they didn't in this case either. And the technique that they use, that's called baseline budgeting. That's how they do things. They say, we're going to spend this much more in the future. So what they have actually said in this case is even worse. They have said a future Congress, which is not us, and a future president, which is not me, is going to stop, going to spend less than what we're projecting they're going to spend today. So we we project they're going to gain 20 pounds. And, uh, but this is a future group. Uh, they're only going to gain 18 by then. And, and, and in fact, the specifics in this particular case is the big savings in this shows up five years in and it's 50 billion less in spending per year from there forward. So this is this 300 billion that they're talking about. This doesn't happen until year five. This is not, it's, it's only a little bit per, it's only 50 billion per year on average. and. It's not actual cuts. It's a reduction in the projected increase of growth. And the Congress that will be making all these decisions, many of the people who will in that Congress are not yet even members of that Congress. Do you think they're not going to spend the money? Do you think they're going to abide by these rules? Do you think they're not going to choose to bust the budget even worse then? So this stuff isn't real. This, this idea that there's... So they're still going to have the whole way through... Trillion dollar deficits year after
0: year after year for the entire 10 year period that they play this game in with no accountability, no accountability. And, you know, I, I want to do something to, to fix this situation, of course, but all I can do is to say I allowed this to happen. I cast my vote and these are the people that are doing this now.
1: <laughs> I'm kind of with George Carlin. If I didn't vote for these people, it's not my fault. If I didn't vote, it's not my fault, right? Right it's the people who voted for these people who are at fault. And I would like people to start to wake up and realize that they shouldn't vote for these people. But more, more importantly, you know, you have more power. You would have more power as a citizen picking up the phone or going to your congressman's office and visiting them. than you will, as a voter, you're just one of thousands. And in the case of the president of the United States, tens of millions, right? You're just one person in that, in that whole scheme. But Very few people avail themselves of actually contacting their congressman and saying what they think. And there is power in that. If you write a letter, that's more power than voting. If you make a phone call, it's more powerful than uh, writing a letter. And if you go person and visit at their district office, that's more powerful than the phone call. And if you get on the plane and you live far enough away from Washington, D.C. and you go to their office there, that's still more powerful yet. And if you bring people with you to those last two meetings, that's still more powerful than that. And what it's we're, do- really, we're doing over at Agenda Setters by Downside DC is proposing there needs to be a stage at which we have waves and waves of agenda setters going in in groups of three, five, and six at a time, right, uh, continuously. Uh, we call the, 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 this program the 300, right? And once we get to 300, we'll start sending those waves. Uh, to to and And we want to apply a lever to this because the idea of fighting these little individual skirmishes about the way that they handle their budgeting hasn't worked. We would like to take away their power to combine so many things into one bill and make each idea stand
0: for an up or down vote on its own merits. I completely agree with you on this, of course. I would love to see it in our lifetimes. And the the method they're proposing actually works. And if anybody wants to find out about that, follow what's happening in your state with the the movement to legalize psychedelics, particularly whole plant medicines. And you'll find small groups of very dedicated advocates doing exactly what it is that Jim just described. Mm-hmm. And it's working. There's a groundswell of support for that, as I think there would be a groundswell of support for good economic uh, governance, if we can say it that way, provided right. that people become educated and understand it. And they can but check out DownsizedDC.org as well. There you go. Yes, absolutely check out DownsizedDC. Uh, you're going to get help for this. There's, there's lots, of, lots of it out there, and it's free. And it's open to you to use. And we know that it works. Yep. But armor up because 87,000 IRS agents are coming for you.
1: <laughs> and, the, and the help wanted ad that just got pulled down says that uh, you should be, they should be armed and ready to uh, use deadly force, right? Yes. You, if you're going to take this job, be prepared to use deadly force. You got to be fit enough to go chase this, these paper scoff laws and maybe even shoot and kill them. Yes, exactly. These 87... I just want to run through a piece of math, though, with you. There are seven or 800 billionaires in the country. And they just hired 87,000 IRS agents. So do you really think they're coming after billionaires? Do you think there's going to be a, this, this just vast increase in the audits that billionaires go through? Or do you think they're coming for you? This is... I, I I have talked for, geez, almost twenty years now. Uh, this goes back to the early two thousands. I have talked about uh, George H W Bush used to have a thousand points of light. Do you remember his a thousand points oh, of sure. light? Yeah. Okay. I had a thousand points of default. That's where <laughs> this was headed. Okay. And what I mean is that this was going to be kind of a slow motion train wreck when it happened, and it was not going to happen all at once necessarily. There were going to be pieces of things that crumble and fall apart. And one of the ones that I thought was going to happen was that they were going to start to clamor to squeeze. And I do mean to use the word squeeze. They're going to squeeze as hard as they possibly can to get and and turn you upside down and shake every dollar out of you. What, what dollar are you hiding from our, our apparatus? You need to turn it all over and then some, and we're going to make your life very painful. So you relent and comply because they're desperate. They're absolutely desperate for dollars. So, uh, uh, Social Security is projected over the next ten years to have like a 2.4 trillion dollar uh, debt increase. Uh, Medicare, I don't remember the exact number, but it's like in the five six hundred billion dollar range that it's going to its debt is going to increase. They're not going to have the ability to meet these obligations long term. They're going to, things are going to crumble piece by piece, a thousand points of default. And one of the earliest ones, you can see it's happening because they're squeezing so hard. They're not hiring 87,000 IRS agents because they're just trying to tax a little billionaires a little better. And they're just trying to make sure that they fill out their forms correctly. That's not what's going on here. And when they advertise that they're willing to, they, they want people who are vicious enough that they're willing to kill. That means they want really, really hard assed agents. This is not. An accident this is a very dangerous bad thing and the solution to it is the same solution to the inflation problem reduce the spending and i mean in the weight watcher sense get on the scale let's reduce the size of the government okay yes some things will go get rid of some things there's almost nothing that cannot be cut in this thing in fact i would argue it can all be cut we can have those discussions that's fine i'm telling you if they can't
0: figure out how to cut something somewhere Real pain is going to be inflicted against real people. The the unfortunate thing is the real people don't have the kind of money that the government has printed that got us into this place in the first place. They simply yes, cannot true. get that money from from the average taxpayer. It's not there. No. But, no, <clears throat> but they're, they're going to try.
1: They're going to try. They're going to try.
0: I mean, I, <laughs> that that brings us to a place where you've got to negotiate, the government get off your back fee, right? Whatever that is. And whatever amount that is, is what you need to come, cough up, so they'll leave you alone. Right. This is not America. This is dystopian.
1: No, this is a this is a really bad idea. And it's funny because, you know, as you're looking at the things that they're saying that they're going to deliver. So one of the things in the healthcare care portion, they're saying they're going to reduce the cost of prescription drugs. Bill, <laughs> we know that they've attempted to do this before. This is so not many the times, first time Jim. they've done this. So many right? times. Right. We also know that the things that the government gets the most deeply involved in, in fact, if they promise to get you something for free, you know it's really going to be expensive. And I I don't know how you reduce the deficit if something becomes free. I mean, I think that problem becomes instantly worse because the price of that item is going to go up. It's now free. So it's the price of it's going to go up. Someone's still going to pay it because there's no such thing as free and it's going to be left to the taxpayers to pay it. But we also know that demand for the item is going to go up. There's going to be more people coming to get the subsidized or free thing, and so we know that more of it's going to be sold. This works out really well because they were trying to say, well, the pharmaceutical companies might take have take a little bit of haircut on their profit. Yes, but they're going to sell more, right? So yes. I, I just—they're guaranteed a market uh, through this these procedures. And I'm just telling you this this never works. We have three areas that the government's been profoundly profoundly involved in: three, education, healthcare. Uh, and housing, education, healthcare, and housing. Do you know what three areas have consistently gone up at the highest rate? Like well, that's why we exceed inflation.
0: That's why we all were told to buy houses back in the early 2000s, right? Yes. And so making we have a whole home, generation, we have a whole generation of young
1: people right now that can't afford to buy a house. I was able yeah. to buy my first house when I was 24 years old. We were just talking about this earlier today. I was able to buy my first house when I was 24 years old. I sat this last weekend with a 24 year old, who is practically in tears, who can't imagine being able to buy a house? She happens to live in California. And we know that the problem here is government. We know this. We know this, that it's policies that have been enacted by the government that have caused this situation. I, I, just, let's just be honest, though. It's, it's, these are the areas that they said they were trying to help out the most. So when they say, I'm coming, I'm from the government and I'm here to help, ho oh,
0: oh, we're in trouble. And, and, it's, and it's worse. It's something you mentioned a little while ago is the government doesn't even know how to measure progress. They no. have all this flim flam math to try to show that some future savings is actually, uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. And this is treated like, you know, it's real science, right? I mean, they get a straight faced economist to come on the news shows and everybody pretends for rum for We have reduced inflation. We have addressed the deficit. And then we find yes. out, that, no, they haven't done either
0: thing. They it's a mindset thing. thing. It's a whole mindset thing. You can prove anything you want to, I suppose, but, well, we get back to fundamentals. I mean, let's make it simple. What are the yep. fundamentals about weights and measures?
1: I want to I I want to remind people here that the that part of what I'm attempting to do uh, with this show uh is talk about grace. And uh, you know, in a graceful uh setting, truth matters. You have to tell the truth. You, you can't stand spare on the, the scale. Truth. You have to stand you on the gotta scale. Got to stand on the scale. And there are numerous uh, uh, verses, in, particularly in the Old Testament, about this idea of, of what's called dishonest weights and measures. But I just want to give you a small sampling. I'm not going to go through all the ones that are but I just want to give you a small sampling. Proverbs 16, says, honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. So that God cares about an honest scale, measuring things out and exchanging properly, right? Is the dollar an honest scale? Amos 8, 4 to 6, um, I won't read the whole thing, but it says, uh, hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail, saying, when will the new moon be passed that we may sell grain on the Sabbath that we may trade wheat? And and he goes on to say that, that, the, that they're basically suppressing or they're harming people who are laborers with their money schemes. Micah 6, 10 to 16, Are are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the short measure that is an abomination? Shall I count pure those with wicked scales and with the bag of deceitful weights? For her rich men are full of violence. Her inhabitants have spoken lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Turn on CNN and you find these people. Turn on CNBC and you find these people. And he begins to describe what's going to happen in their land, how hunger is going to come in, that there's going to be people who are going to beg to die. It's going to get so bad, and that these rulers are going to think they're going to get away with it, but it isn't going to work out. And that's the prophet speaking. And and the book of Proverbs, a, a book of wisdom, but it's also in the Old Testament law. Dishonest weights and measures were were an abomination, uh, long standing. This is these these problems are not brand new. They're not 2022 problems. They're historical man problems.
0: You look around in the world, you can see any place where this has been tried, it fails. It just, it it's fails. not sustainable. It just, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't work out. Pretty soon they get you know, onto it's, you.
1: It's interesting you say that because we have just come through a period where there has been literally something called new monetary theory. This is, this is like a, a, the real, you can go look this up on Google. I'm not making this up. Where they're basically arguing that what we've been doing for the last 10 years is always going to work. Like we have found the elixir. We have, we've. We've got the alchemy. We've got the secret. We know now how to turn um, lead into gold. We've got it. Like it's done. We are never going to have to account for this. And then we're going through what we're going through right now. Now it'd be easy to think, and I do think this was a huge contributing factor that COVID is plays a large role in this, but they could not have kept us all locked down if they weren't passing out money. They could not have They pulled off a number of schemes and the amount of money that they gave us out of the money that they distributed was relatively small.
0: Yeah. Compared to the debt that they incurred for providing that money. And the same thing was true of the bailout
1: in 2008. The same same exact thing was true. Very, that money did, did went to the bank institutions who by the end of 2009 and 2010, they were, they were back in business paying huge bonuses, these investment houses, because they didn't miss a beat. They got bailed out. And so <laughs> the housing market got crushed, right? But, but they didn't. And, and it's, we keep seeing these crimes repeated. And the last time this happened, by the way, I have to point out, you got the Tea Party, which ends up becoming Donald Trump, and you've got the uh, Occupy movement, which ends up becoming Bernie Sanders. Our parties are more radicalized. The divisions are deeper. People are angrier. And all this was set by this new monetary policy. This is, I'm not making this up. Go Google it. I mean, this is, they literally believe that they were wizards and they'd figured this whole thing out and we're seeing the fruit of it now. And instead of of going, oops, we made a
0: mistake, they're
1: doubling down. This bill is a doubling down.
0: A doubling down on income inequality, doubling down on the coercion of the poor. uh,
1: Gentrification.
0: Gentrification. It's, well, it's just in so many ways. Mm -hmm. What would happen if we eliminated debt financing for our government? (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, that would do, uh, do an awful lot to re- uh, resolve
1: our uh, inflation issue, right? But I, I, you know, getting back to first principles here again, that's a curse, okay? Luke 14, 28 is a great verse to me. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. This is Jesus speaking. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you're making 10-year budgets and you don't know where it's going to go two years from now, are you really sitting down and estimating the true cost? Are you putting pencil to paper saying, we, we got a problem here and we got to do something? Is new monetary theory an example of taking that that that, that count? Um, dishonest money dwindles away. What is dishonest money? This is Proverbs 13, verse 11. But whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Dishonest money, so, uh, the, it's not just a criminal. Like, so you could look at that verse and go, this is criminal. I mean, I, I hear dishonest money and I think of, of f- frauds. Federal sure. Reserve Accounting yeah. Units, the dollar, right? That's uh, a fraud. It's, it's not a real thing, right? It's this piece of paper and its value is being depreciated by how much they can possibly print right now. And who can forget? We go to church and we all say these words at some point during the service and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. What is so important about being forgiven of debt? Why is that so important? Why did that make the, 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 the hallmark prayer? It's the ultimate grace, you know? It is the ultimate grace. And our government isn't going to give, it doesn't dare give us this grace because they're busy getting fat, dumb and happy with their friends, right? The cronyism machine is on. It's a a party and you, you're not a member of the club.
0: This is a hard one because when it comes time to sort of clean house and kick the club out of office, so to speak, throw them out of, you know, throw the money changers out of the temple. um, This is a, a great example of the use of anger for skillful means. And I run into trouble when I bring that up, but I think you know what I mean.
1: We have only one example, uh, in, in, in the gospels of Jesus losing his temper, just one. It's an interesting story and there's a lot of nuance to it. And someday we're going to get into, we're going to bring a gentleman on who's going to tell the parable in detail in it's historical context, but I'm going to preview a little bit of that right now in the temple in order to, at the time of Passover, you had to come and purchase a sacrifice. The sacrifice had to be clean, clean. it had to be certified clean, you know, rabbinically clean. And that was done inside the temple. So you had to buy, you know, and you're coming from a long distance. It was inconvenient to bring your own sacrifice with you anyway. So you would get to town and you would buy it at the temple. The temple had kind of a commerce setup. So you'd go to the temple and you buy your sacrifice. The poor sacrifice was, uh, were birds. There were pigeons, you know, doves. They were, there were, they were these birds that they would go, they could sacrifice. They couldn't, if you couldn't quite afford a lamb, an unblemished lamb, you could buy a a bird. So it's the poor table. And so you could still make your sacrifice. And then, uh, they're selling that inside. So it's a controlled market. There's a monopoly there. So you can imagine the price was already decently high, right? Then on top of that, you had to have the coin of the temple. In order to actually purchase at that table, and the coin of the table was worth double what it, uh, it was. It, it cost double what the what the 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 same coin costs outside. And I do not remember the names of the coins, the respective coins, but essentially what they did is they charged 100 markup on the coin. Then you walked back and you bought the Monopoly product, which was also itself marked up, so- making it very cross prohibitive for the poor. To be able to buy their sacrifice.
0: So let me—I'm wandering into a temple somewhere. Maybe it's in Jerusalem. Who knows? I'm wandering into a temple. I don't have a well, lot. Well, this of money was so. in
1: Jerusalem. This is and the temple.
0: That's the—that's the place. And I haven't brought a sacrifice along because you know it's been a long trip, and I, you know, I, I need my livestock. So I'm, i i want to get like a dove or a pigeon or something, and I have to pay twice for that what it's worth, right out of the gate. As you're going to pay, you're going to pay, you're going to
1: pay an, 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 uh, an, I don't remember what the exact rate of increase on in it was, but they were char- overcharging for it because of monopoly. And yep. then they were charging double for the coin that you have to use to make the transaction. And I'm
0: doing this because what I'm coerced to do this. Bad well, you're doing this because way. you believe this is your duty before God, right? There we go. Okay. Yes.
1: And they're, they're, they're using or manipulating that to take advantage of people. And they set up a racket inside the system that benefited the people who ran the system. Well, that sounds as so opposed, familiar. as opposed to the worshipers who were coming in. Right. So familiar. Yes. And this is what religions do. This is inevitably what religions do, but the state turns out to be a religion too. We find this out and it's got its own priests and magicians in it. Right. Miracle workers uh, doing their thing. And they're now robbing people. They're robbing real people on fixed incomes. Retirees, the poor. Haven't you
0: heard they can fix the, they can fix inflation and all kinds of other stuff. Yes. They have the
1: magic, man. Yes. And I'm saying that this is, this is a moment to cleanse the temple. This Absolutely. Is, this is a moment to say, we this is not this has not worked. You you don't have magic. You're not special. Uh, you're not solving inflation. You're not reducing the deficit. You are engaged in a scheme of dishonest weights and measures. And you, your target is the poorest amongst us. And that is the status of our political class today. The Democratic Party is taking the lead on this right now, but let's be honest, the Republicans have done their share of deficit spending too.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And they've
1: used it, and and one of the verses I just read a couple moments ago in the Prophets, they've used it, they're violent men, they've used some of this lucre
0: for very violent means. Right, 87,000 armed IRS agents willing to go to the mat. So this is a reason to get angry, and uh, I don't blame Jesus for losing his temper on this one at all. In fact, there's a lot of other issues that you know, I wish we had some examples for losing a temper in a good way. <laughs> 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 you got some other things you want to get upset about, right? Exactly. But but even though he loses his temper, Jim, this whole thing is symbolic. I mean, he does, clean, he does upset does Tip everybody. the table. Yep. He does tip the tables over. But it's symbolic because, you know, that's just one act. But it's hugely important for us to get the symbolism of this right now. It's hugely important. and And
1: I want to say to people who maybe, you know, the, the Bible isn't their cup of tea right? Old ancient book, whatever. Maybe they associate it with religion. And I understand why they would. Uh, it's been u- misused and abused by plenty of religions. I want to say that there's wisdom to be found in its pages. And it is a call. The entire book is a call to treat one another with grace. And the point I want to close on is that I we these principles of like recognizing that every person has their own visions and dreams and their design and shape that they were given by God means that they have to be treated in, in humane, decent fashion. That's the argument I'm making here. And and I hope other you know people will find comfort and wisdom in what's been said here. But I would especially appeal to the people who claim to believe this book has sacred, is, is full of sacred words, that God is speaking to them through this, that they would begin to practice what they preach, and they would stop voting Democrat. And listen to me, they would also stop voting Republican. And they would start holding people accountable. They would start holding people accountable to honest weights and measures and recognize that debt, and that includes the debt of their government,
0: is a curse. One of the aspects of community is accountability. We can't have a community without being accountable to one another. And in our case, not only is our community fractured right now, but it's also fractured from the ultimate accountable elected officials that we in our wisdom have sent to do our jobs for us. And we, we really need to come to grips with that, but we have to practice it privately first. We have to be accountable to each other before we can expect or demand accountability from those that we offer our trust and our solemn uh, responsibility to, to execute the laws of the land. And that's tough. It's a big learning curve. And we may hear people talk about civil war. Maybe that's part of the learning curve. I don't know what it's going to take to get there, Jim, but uh, I'm with you on this. We need to encourage people to think outside of the duopoly, maybe to get back to the basic principles of what means what it means to be in relationship, what it means to be in family, what it means to be in community. And with that as a platform, uh, practice. Practice grace. Yep. It isn't really that hard, but it does require us to do it consistently. Mm-hmm. And that is that is difficult in our ADHD era, consistent grace. Thank you all for being here, for listening. Thank you, Jim, for your wisdom and sharing it boldly on this topic. This is not going to go away, people. We have a long road to go here. Jim and I are going to be here supporting, encouraging, maybe egging you on, maybe being a little persistent where you wish we wouldn't. But it's okay. We love you. And we're going to stay with it. Be graceful to each other. Aho.